Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Using information and communications technology is part of our daily lives. So, it seems, is cybercrime. Last year, cybercrime cost us $33 billion in Australia. Former Detective Superintendent Pat Boyle spent 46 years in Victoria Police. He focused on criminal investigation, working in the Fraud and Extortion Squad, Criminal Proceeds and E-Crime Squads, and the Joint Child Exploitation Team. Pat knows about cybercrime as he finished his career managing the finance and cybercrime division. Welcome to the Crime Couch, Pat. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Why did you become a police officer? Well, that's a good question. (laughs) Look, uh, I joined at 19. Uh, I just suddenly had an interest. I was working in telecom for a couple of years as a telecommunications assistant. And then uh, I was 17, 19. I started thinking, well, where am I going? And I just started reading up on the police force and that's it. I joined and uh, and then 46 years later, I've had a wonderful career. There's been ups and downs, but that's with any any career. You'll have some pitfalls that you don't like. But overall, um, wonderful experience. It took me all over the world, um, gave me opportunities that I don't think I would have ever had if I hadn't joined. You were in charge. In fact, you finished your career, Pat, uh, managing the finance and cybercrime division. What specifically did you investigate? Uh, within the fraud area, it was it was very, very extremely broad. And but that's why we this division was set up by Steve Fontana because um, everything was interlinking interlinking because fraud there'd be some sort of um, cyber involvement. Well, actually, in all honesty, just about every crime has a cyber involvement. But within finance, there is, and then within the e-crime area, they were there to assist investigators uh, gather the intelligence that they needed to um, solve the crime. You know, dissect all the techniques technology that was being given to them to look at. But it got to a stage where e-crime were taking on their own jobs and they'd be then now the lead investigator, whereas normally e-crime was an investigative arm, but they became a primary source and they would start working up jobs themselves, constantly monitoring what's happening out there in the cyber world. What is cybercrime, Pat? Well, it's any, anything where technology is being used to assist the outcome really what it comes down to. It, it's really everything we use now. Our phone is a, you know, a walking PC, you know. We have it got in our pocket and we've got access to everything. Back in the day, you know, you can imagine, oh, wow, the tele- our first phones, the first portable phone was a huge handbag. You know, it was enormous and now we've got something that's really small and now we want them bigger, you know. <laughs> we wanted them really small. Now we've got, but it's technology-assisted crime. It's, that's, that's what, it, if you want to come down to a, a layman's term, that's what you're coming down to. We're such an online culture, aren't we? I mean, every inch of our professional and personal lives is virtually online. Mm. Are we just easy picking for online scams, Pat? Um, unfortunately, yes. Even though we've got 
areas like Scamwatch where people can go and have a look to see if what they're about to buy is possibly listed on there as being don't use that because of this reason. Marketplace, eBay, uh, everything, Gumtree, everyone is using those areas to actually fool people. And unfortunately, love scams is another situation. And you know, we've been bombarded by phone calls and people just aren't thinking about this person at the other end, who the hell are they? And what if I just hang up? What's, what, why don't I just hang up and see what happens? You know, if, if, if I'm really in trouble, they'll ring back. But they won't ring back. They won't. And you should know. You just look at the numbers coming up. But sometimes those numbers could look like something familiar to you because it's been spoofed. But nine times out of ten, you look at it and you go, oh, Russia. You know, who do I know in Russia? <laughs> you know, really, it's it's common sense sometimes, but unfortunately, they they target the vulnerable, and it's not necessarily that they know who they're targeting. It's just you know, I've had heaps of those calls, heaps of them. Even some of the investigations I've run, I've been in charge of. Um, some of the calls have come through, and I'm thinking, wow, this is one of the ones that I'm currently investigating. You know, it's just it's it's it can be quite random, but it can be quite targeted. One job you worked on during July 2018 was an elaborate kidnapping extortion scheme that targeted wealthy Chinese students. How on earth did that work? That investigation was a fraud squad investigation assisted by e-crime and uh, the lead investigator was Detective Sergeant Emma Lobb. And basically what was happening... um, and due to my experience, previous experience as an inspector in charge of the Asian squad, I understand the um, complexities involved with uh, international students because they're, they're so vulnerable. They've come from the other side of the world to get a better education, but back in China, they were you know, basically um, locked in their room, so to speak, study, 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 and then there's the opportunities to go overseas, and suddenly they're let out. And uh, they're on the other side of the world and basically they become a target. And what was happening there, basically, that random phone calls, in some cases selected phone calls, to people who are international students, uh, these um, scam artists would have quite a bit of intelligence on the person already. And we leave a footprint everywhere at the moment in relation to who we are through Facebook or WeChat or, you know, you name it. There are forms of intelligence there, no different when a journalist starts looking at a scoop and starts thinking, well, I'll put Pat Ball's name in there or someone else, who is this person? And they make a random call. And in the case of the Chinese student, when you get a random call and you look at that call and you realise, hey, that's the Australian, that's the Chinese embassy ringing me because they recognise the number. And then in the case of a Chinese police station, any, any number with a 100 in it indicates it's a Chinese police station. And they realise they're back at home and thinking, oh, someone's ringing me from China or the embassy. And suddenly uh, what will happen in the case of the kidnappings is that one case, the girl has just answered the call. She's been told either one, um, you've got, we've picked up some of your mail and it's got drugs in it, or you've been involved in a crime back in China and now you, you, we need to speak to you. And the girl will be bewildered about what's going on. And, but they'll uh, reassure her and confirm that they are who they say they are. And they'll do that by saying, well, I'll just put you through to the head police officer. And in the, in the case of the introduction, it was usually someone from the embassy. Well, I'm now going to refer you to the police officer who's running this job. And then they'll speak to that officer. And that officer will reinforce what's just happened. Send her a picture of who she is. And, that sort of the, and uh, in some cases, a warrant with her picture on it. 
and these are the crimes that you've just committed and you, you're, we're going to bring you back to China, but you need to help us first. And it was just roll on and roll on. And the, the person is totally innocent, hasn't done anything wrong, but it's got to the stage where the intimidation used and also the uh, confirmation of who they actually are reinforces the fact that, hey, maybe I haven't got, got tied up into something. And then they'll say, oh, well, by the way, it may not be you, but there's someone who looks like you and the person that we're targeting, uh, you look like her daughter. So we want you to help us with this. And then start giving instructions. Instructions to say, oh, not now. Um, they start asking for more information about her. So she's now providing them with more identity about who she is bank statements, all that sort of stuff. And then uh, saying to them, well, look, we need you to leave your home now and go to a hotel nearby. We want you away. They want them away from anyone else. Go to the hotel. And, and, th and at this stage, we've built up such a rapport. We're now, we're now talking to each other on FaceTime, though she can't see the person on the other end, but they can see her. And talking all the way in the taxi, so they're staying with her, staying with her, staying with her until she gets to the hotel. And then they'll say, all oh, right, look, we want you to help us solve this crime. We want you to take all your clothes off, lie in a bath and uh, put your hands behind your back that like you're tied up, uh, tear your shirt, put that around your eyes so you look like you've been um, tied up and blindfolded, I should say, and, and then say certain things, plead for help. And she said they were saying that that will help us with the other kidnappings we already have and they will send her pictures of other people they've kidnapped who's been tied up. You will help us find these people because we will then say to the person who we believe is the person who kidnapped those people that we just sent you pictures of that you've now been kidnapped. And so they'll get scared and, uh, and um, respond. Like it's all a nonsense. It's just so bizarre. But it happens. And you there's pictures of these girls lying in the bath semi-naked and crying out that certain words. They'll send her videos of others that have been tied up to say, do that the same way. But what will happen, then they'll say, righto, we'll get back to you, stay at the hotel, some hours will pass, and then they'll contact them to go, or may not contact them at all. To, in some cases they do, go back to their home. But what they've been doing in between this time gap is now they've now contacted the parents in China, sent her, them the photos of their daughter pleading for help. And, uh, and so convincing would all this be that nine times out of 10, the money would be sent. And the money will vary from 10 to 12,000, in some cases, 750,000, a million dollars. And all done. <laughs> victims were there and what sort of money was extorted? Uh, I couldn't tell you the, the, the total amount because it was happening right around Australia. Um, there was hundreds and hundreds of calls all around Australia um, but obviously I was centering on what was happening in Victoria but um, it, it was really awkward for us because we're trying to work out how it's all happening and um, and but unfortunately it was all through WeChat and WhatsApp and these are these are all encrypted and you can't get into them at all and Majority of them will be on the other side of the world, though we, we you know we, we have had you know for want of a better word sweatshops in Australia where all these people are sitting and you know I've had them myself people talking to me and telling me something and I could hear other people in the background talking, uh, but they um, uh, in the case of um, in 2012 in it's show you how big it is 350 plus Taiwanese were extradited from 
Philippines back to Taiwan, chartered flight to bring them back, all being prosecuted over um, uh, scams like this. And it's just, and they've already indicated there's at least 10,000 people involved in this scams. I'm on the impression recently that the, our fraud squad here has arrested a team involved in this same in this sort of affair. And normally those places will look like it's a large room, uh, a desk, cardboard either side of the desk, so like a sort of like a bit of a blindfold, and they'll take them out of the view of the person sitting next to them, mm. and then that person will do their part of the spiel, and then pass the phone to the the next person who'll do their spiel. Some of those people have actually come here for other purposes and been, and been got caught up in the whole thing and threatened and can't can't leave the country because they've got their passports. Others are just you know full time involved in it. But the financial reward has been extremely extremely high and the impact for Victoria too because it caused a problem where you know international students it's a priority for the state a financial priority and they want to make sure that uh, people didn't think that their child was being sent into an unsafe environment but I say if you're actually showing you're trying to do something and get on top of this that's that's the best approach to show that you're actually doing something that will reinforce the families to understand hey the police are here to help and they'll, they'll get on top of this they won't just ignore this it sounds outrageous how did you close it down eventually it just got to the stage where um, scams outlive themselves for a while. You know, they'll say, we're going to stop that one and start up another. Um, so we got close. Um, but unfortunately, you can imagine the relationships between Victoria Police and the police in China and trying to get assistance, it wasn't happening. Taiwan, they were a little bit in denial, even though we'd shown, shown them that we believe this is where it's all happening because some of the phone calls and the evidence was leading us back to China and Taiwan. But um, uh, they will blame, blame each other. And but we, so in the end, you're getting nowhere with it all. And basically in some cases, you know, they don't want, to, don't want to lose face that they're doing the wrong thing. And it gets to the stage where the scam has outlived its purpose and uh, they'll move on and start up a different form of scam. But I've only heard recently through the detective inspector, Greg Bauer, that they've arrested um, a team of individuals involved in some new scams that have been happening, all of the same nature, you know, the kidnap scams. Another job which was equally as bizarre in this area involved bomb threats to schools across Australia during 2016. How was your squad involved in that, Pat? What came about was that... Uh, there was numerous phone calls being made to um, schools and those phone calls would uh, normally indicate that there'd been a bomb threat and uh, or in some cases it was the fact that um, I'm going to come and kill, kill, kill is what they would say. Of course that puts everyone in a state of panic and the schools obviously for all the right reasons evacuates the school. There was over the time of the investigation, there was at least 600 of these calls across Australia and New Zealand, and then also more again in the UK, the US and uh, Europe. So straight away they looked at, well, who's going to investigate this? And eCrime was the, the lead agency. But what we did is uh, within the state, and then other states did the same thing. They put up their eCrime units, and then we had a combined uh, approach with the AFP. So Operation EVAC started up and they started looking at trying to make uh, the schools aware about how they should respond to these things, but then trying to investigate it as well. And it's, it was certainly not 
easy because it was it was heavily encrypted and they just couldn't work out how it was happening but in the end they worked out that it was basically through a, a what they call a VoIP through VoIP so it's a phone call that's done through electronically and with that an app was being used and the app of all things you can buy an app which um, will help you make bomb threats and also then on top of that they would use a uh, an app to disguise the voice so we're talking about the voice which was used to make the calls, which was a computerised voice with an American accent. Yes, that's right too, yes. And very short and succinct. Most times it was only a few words, but it would, it would get, a, get across quite, quite easily about what was happening and it caused a massive amount of fear. Like in Victoria alone, 40,000 kids were evacuated from schools. You know, that's just incredible amount of um, fear within the community, it was all the headlines of the newspapers about what we're doing about it. But it was targeting schools, and then it started targeting hospitals, and it's just, it was all over the place. To the extent that when it was traveling in the UK, it was the same sort of matters were happening within the US, it, the, the threats were then at airports, and next minute they had to put some jets up to bring a plane down because they thought it had a bomb on board. You know, So it was huge, and so we had a lot of communication around the world with GCHQ in London talking about how um, we can respond to this. So the guys within E-Crime, in- incredible what they do and the dedication and the understanding because it's just a different form of policing and not any police officer can do it. But we also have public servant staff that work alongside them as well because they've got all the other experience and knowledge. Uh, but the investigator has to be there to work out which way went way from here. But over time, they found out where all these apps were being purchased from through an app called BestWorks and uh, started targeting things there that, well, who is, who's been purchasing this? And what we were finding too is that some of these threats, this person that we finally identified some months later was promoting his what he can do by just constantly sending out all these messages, but with the idea then that he can sell these threats to anyone who wants to put up, say, $35 in Bitcoin and so that if you want to get out of school or something like that, you know, something very, very minor, an exam was on that day, well, I get out. We didn't find too many purchases in Australia, but overseas that was what was happening. The awkward thing about a lot of this stuff is that with the AFP, it's great. We can get those other channels available to us to, to open up doors overseas to investigate and bring people together. But sometimes you have to use what they call a mutual assistance request, which is a a dinosaur of a thing, unfortunately. It's 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 outdated now, but basically it's putting pen to paper on an application and that's got to go to the other side of the world to then say, we want to do this, this, and this, can you assist us? You know, And um, sometimes good old-fashioned policing where you make a phone call to someone, um, in this case, one of the investigators did, and he actually worked out, he felt that it was that these calls were going through a particular server on the other side of the world and he convinced that person at the other hand who had ownership of that server to open up with some of the information they needed, you know, IP addresses and things like that. And that led to reinforcing what we what they already thought and New Zealand counterparts had come up with an idea that the person was possibly in Israel. Unfortunately there was a person arrested in Israel but they had nothing to do with it. They were they were scammed as well. They went through their server. So it it ended up being that we identified someone in Israel passed that on to the Israeli police. They've gone around and arrested this 17-year-old boy who's basically has autism. He's extremely intelligent, but intellectual ability of a, you know, a very, very young child. And he was arrested. About a year or two later, he ended up getting 10 years imprisonment. But they found he had $500,000 worth of 
Bitcoin that he'd procured from different locations. But it just caused mayhem. And it was a number one priority job to get on top of meetings after meetings to discuss how do we get on top of this international meetings talking you know to with agencies on the other side of the world to make sure we're all on the white right page and it was uh extremely extremely time consuming and obviously politically it was number one let's, let's how do we stop this but it's just it's not it's not easy it's not easy and that's why i look at these guys that can do this work it's just incredible what they undertake and i'm on this there as the manager and to be the voice for them and actually um, hopefully you know work out well where to from here who do we bring in next what resources do you need what additional money do you need because sometimes that some of the things they had to do to get to the next stage was going to cost us quite a bit of money you know um, analyzing all the calls from around the world you just don't look at that you've got to purchase all those and sit down and go through it all and see well where's where's a common denominator but Victoria Police E-Crime Squad was the ones that actually had that bit of information that solved it. What strikes me is, as we were discussing before this interview, $33 billion last year that this cost us in terms of crime, and that's what is declared. There'd be a lot of scams and a lot of online technology and things where people are ripped off where they never disclose what's occurred no they're, they're too embarrassed that that's usually the love scams or they think oh well you know what can the police do about it anyway or they don't know how to report it um the ato the ato scams you know um, the taxation office where people go down to the bank and you know withdraw money the love scams where you know yes he loves me and uh and then the, and those those people then become mules. They'll then use their bank account to move the money through. Even sometimes, you know, you're trying to convince them, um, the banks will look at the money being moved and say, hey, and try and, and stop it. And they just kick up a stink and say, no, 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 no this, is, this is all true. And there's lots of broken hearts out there where they've lost heaps and heaps of money, you know, and it's just all through being lonely and uh, talking to the wrong person. But they should be able to identify the conversation that's happening and how it's said and what they're asking for. And suddenly, oh, look, I need some money because my money's tied up. Would you be able to go to the bank and do this and do this for me? You know, I've had some women travel to the UK, all the way up to the UK as part of the scam to do things on behalf of this alleged lover who they've never met. Uh, it's incredible. But yes, there's, there's countless amount of people out there who wouldn't have come forward. And it's very easy to prey on people that are extremely vulnerable and that are obviously very lonely. It's very sad. Yeah, it is. And yeah, we've had situations where, you know, you could talk to those people and that person will be on the phone to them when you're there and they'll still talk to them and you just tell them they don't, they don't exist. They're not who they say they are. Mm. And unfortunately, you, know, you look down, you look at the, and read through the transcripts of the phone calls and the conversations and you, it's just terrible what happens. And they, you know, it's, they've just ruined, ruined these women's lives and men. There's men as well, but the high percentage are women, but there are men as well, definitely. No ifs and buts about that. And they're just looking for that lost heart. But when you start asking for money the alarm bells are there straight away and the reasons used to ask for that money are just the same every time you know it's just <laughs> unfortunately it's the nigerian scams it seems to be nigeria seems to be the main place for it all to happen and again the other side of the world you're trying to investigate something like this and it's 
It's not in your backyard. It's the other side of the world, and that makes it even harder again. And so you've got two squads looking at this. You've got the fraud squad trying to get on top of it, and you've got e-crime trying to work out who's done it. And in some cases, in, in relation to the bombing, e-crime lead it and uh, take it all on. And that's how the more and more focusing on cyber by the cybercrime type squads uh, leading the investigation, starting up their own investigations and looking for the future threat. You know, what can we, how can we stop it? What would your advice be? Would it be that if it looks too good, it, it probably is? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Definitely. That's an old adage. And it's definitely the, it's definitely the same situation. No, no if and buts about that. Too good to be true. You know, why is this extremely attractive person interested in me? And how does that voice or that conversation I'm having with this person, either on the phone or the way he's he or she is sending me the emails, it doesn't match with the type of person this is, if you understand what I mean. You know, a highly decorated soldier and, you know, there is in his uniform and he's, he's up in general rank sort of thing. And next minute he's talking like baby this and baby that and... It just doesn't make sense, and it you, you're not matching the person with the language, and you go, really? It's it's you know, an excuse after excuse about when I'm coming, when I'm coming. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been very interesting listening and hearing all about cybercrime today. Thanks for sitting with me on the Crime Catch Pad. Yeah, thanks for asking. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Catch.